Shaping success with West Tankersley is brought to you by Aggressive Marketing Solutions, your solution for all business social media needs. If you need a team of social media marketers and content creators to help you build your brand on social media, text WEST2020 to 541-709-6502 today. Get started building your brand on social media. Success is defined differently by every individual. Some have never even considered what it is. I hope when I get older I'll be successful. What does that even mean? Money? Cars? Big house? On this show, we strive to look at it a little deeper, learning from successful individuals on what they believe success really is and how to obtain it. Everybody, enjoy the show. This is Shaping Success with Wes Tankersley. Good evening and welcome to Shaping Success with me. I'm your host, Wes Tankersley. Thank you for tuning in right now. If you could do me a big favor, if you're watching this on a live show, do a watch party. Get that thing going. Let's spread the word right now. Check it out. Get it Get it to all your friends and family. If you are listening to this on a podcast, if you can do me another good big favor, please like and review. Give me a nice review so that I can help spread the word about this and get more people to pay attention to what's going on here. Uh, this is episode 29, and our guest is Vincent Van Boltenberg. Met Vince almost a year ago when I started posting a little bit more on Instagram, and he... Chimed in, supported me, and uh, then I went over and I got my hair cut by him because he's a barber, but he's also got a very interesting story to tell, and we're going to dive into that besides just getting my hair cut. Vince and I were born in the exact same hospital. He's a little bit older than me, but we were born in the same hospital as well as someone else. Vince, welcome to the show, and can you tell us who else was born in that hospital? Yeah. Who else? Who else true. was born there? Uh, let's see. Joe Martinez. You know that? No, guy? no, you. Sammy you know Hagar. There Sammy we Hagar. go. That's who I'm talking about. Sammy, Sammy Hagar. Hagar. Yes, yeah. he was born uh, 20 years before me. He's actually. Right. <clears throat> I'm not even going to say how old he is, but uh, he's old. That guy's old, and it must be the what is that bourbon he makes or some kind of rum or something, keeping him young. But uh, yeah, he was born in Memorial Hospital, and. Uh, 20 years before me, Salinas, California. Yeah. Awesome so, story. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We were born in the same place, and this was kind of the interesting thing about you is I ran into you on Instagram. We both started kind of posting about the same time. You had moved to Boise, opened up this barbershop, and we supported each other through that. And then I ended up going in there and getting my hair cut. And then I learned a lot of stuff about you. <laughs> which is kind of crazy. And I think you have a great story to share, not only the barbering story, which is an awesome story in itself, because I think that's good and we'll get to that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about when you were younger though, and then we'll move into where you are now. So sure. tell us a little bit about your awesome career path that you chose when you were younger. Good Lord. Uh, really? Well, if you want to start out, you, you know the store JC Penney's, right? Yep. You ever heard of J.C. Penny? The story. Yeah, my mom used to take me there, and at the time, they didn't have a music out where you could just grab the tapes. You know, it had this case, and they were all locked up, and you had to stick your arm in these holes and grab the tape and look at it. You couldn't get it through the hole. It was like that thing they tell you to try to get the gold bar out, but there's just no way to do it because your hand's too big for the. You know what I mean? Anyway, right. She used to take me there, and I'd get to pick out a a tape of whoever I wanted. 
so that was my musical influence. My mom allowed me to pick a cassette tape of whatever music I wanted. I always wanted Elvis or Grease. I was really young, and uh, I always picked Elvis, the greatest hits. So I was a big fan of music, and for some reason it was just in me to be, uh, you know, musical. And I sang all the time. I dreamt about it. And I told my mom when I was six that I would be a rock star one day. So um, the story about J.C. Penney was just, you know, that's the earliest memory I have of of uh, picking out Elvis cassettes. And you know, if you know what a cassette is, if you're in the audience and you have never experienced a cassette, it was a wonderful piece of technology that uh, if you didn't have a pencil, well, you were screwed. But uh, if you're old enough, you know what I mean by that. <laughs> So sometimes the tape player would just eat the tape, and you pull it out. You got to use a pencil to twist it back together. But uh, yeah, Elvis, those tapes lasted a long time, and uh, I just became really interested in singing. I thought I would be a singer. I grew up and listened to a lot of bands like Journey, Black Sabbath, Van Halen, all of the good ones. So that was my initial, uh, uh, you know, experience with music or exposure to music was with uh, Elvis Presley, though. So, so you uh, got so you got into that, and then you, where did the so, I'm gonna just kind of say here you were one of the lead singers for Baron Cross, which is a Christian rock band. How did that all come about? Where did that start out? How did they notice you? How did you get into being in that position? Well, that was a long road. That was a long road. Uh, yes, they were a Christian rock band, um, but a lot of people are re- will recognize the name Striper or Baron Cross. Uh, Petra or some of these bigger names. Uh, I was exposed to Striper uh, when I was about 14 years old and uh, drove a long way to get their tape that was just barely out. We drove all the way to San Jose, California from Monterey and uh, picked up that first Yellow and Black Attack uh, album and I was sold, man. I was like, this is what I'm doing. That's it. But before that, I was in a couple bands and um, we had started a band called Decree, and then it was Tongues of Fire or something, and then uh, it became Full Armor. Full Armor was a band that had recorded some demos and appeared on the White Metal Invasion compilation album, which was around the world and sold a lot of records. Uh, so we were recognized. And a uh, funny story is, after I had joined Baron Cross, uh, we were after a show going to a restaurant to eat, and there was a bunch of fans following us to the restaurant and I heard my song one of the songs from that album that we were on blaring out of somebody's Camaro and I was like dude that's me that's me (laughs) that's me singing I was so blown away hearing myself all the way across the other side of the United States from where I live hearing me in somebody's car it blew my mind but I was with Baron Cross and how did I get into them Uh, I was a big fan of Baron Cross uh, coming up in my band days and um, uh, I just had the opportunity to go and audition uh, through a bunch of a series of unfortunate events I was late to the party and they had already found a singer and I remember I had to take a Greyhound bus to uh, Los Angeles to uh, just beg my friend who had the drummer position to just let me stay there and talk him into seeing me they had to hear me and I was Probably three months late. The guy had been in the band already for three months. And uh, I took the ground bus. It was on a strike. What normally would take five hours 
took about 15 hours to get to LA because every stop we waited for hours for another bus driver, you know, that would, you know, cross the line and drive the bus. Uh, it was terrible. And they told me no when I got there. They said, no, we, we, we got a guy we can't go backwards now. We're on tour in a couple weeks. And they said, no, 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 no. Uh, but uh, my friend Dave, the drummer, uh, he just told Ray, the guitar player, hey, listen, just come over. I'll have him singing in the room. Just come over and he won't even know you're here. And uh, so I was in the room singing. He, they told me, hey, Ray's coming. He wasn't supposed to, but Ray's coming over and uh, just be in the room, crank the radio up with their music and sing to it. So I was in there and I was a fan for like five, six years of Baron Cross. And uh, I was in the room and just going off, you know. And then after about two songs, this, you know, six foot five guy walks in. He's a big guy. And I, you know, I was starstruck because I'd been a fan of Rick Paris forever. Uh, Baron Cross, I was just like, <laughs> you know, just blew my mind. <laughs> and uh, I was just like, okay, this is crazy. I was just like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And he told me, hey, rewind that song there and sing it again. So he's like two feet away from me. And he's telling me, sing this song again. It's my song. Sing my song for me with a cassette and the stereo and, I'm, you know, just sing it along to their record. And I do it. And he said, all right, now forward it to this song and sing this one. And I sang him two songs. And he said, wow, cool, bro. And he went in the kitchen. He called the bass player and said, hey, we got to check this guy out. you got to hear him. And uh, the bass player said, no, we can't do that. And he was sort of like the leader of the band. And he said, we can't do that, Ray. It is too late. And uh, so a couple days go by, long story short, I got the number from Dave, and I called Jim myself, and I said, Jim, look, I'm sorry for calling you. I came a long way to, for you guys to hear me. I know you're professional. You don't want to be out on tour thinking, what did we not listen to? What did we pass up, you know? And uh, he finally just went, Ugh, you know? And he said, okay, we're going to play the Jonas, where you run a room, you get a microphone, a PA, and you plug in, and you rock and roll. And uh, we got a place, and they told me flat out, right, you know, when I came in, they said, you're going to have to, you know, put me on the spot. You're going to have to blow doors and blow the guy we already have away for us to even change the situation. Because we have less than two weeks, and we're on a world tour. And I was like, I got you, bro. <laughs> I was very confident, because <laughs> I was a fan. I knew all their music by heart. He was kind of mad at me that I didn't bring the lyric sheet. I said, oh, oh I forgot it. Sorry. So he was like, man, not a good start. You should have brought those lyrics. It was a thick stack, you know, of papers with all the lyrics. And I'm like, I got you, bro. But I was confident. I was totally nervous. But after about 30 seconds into the first song, they were looking at each other going, oh, crap. I saw the looks on their face, faces. And uh, in the end, they said, you're in. And uh, that was that. I was the singer for Baby Cross. It was very fun. Very so how excited. long did that last? How long were you, you, did you just go right on tour or what happened from there? We rehearsed a few other times and, uh, and then it was basically get a passport, figure it out. I worked a few floor jobs with Dave over the next half a week and uh, we rehearsed and we were on, on a plane. Our first stop was Ireland. And uh, we did the whole world tour. It was about, uh, I was with them a little over a year, I guess. 
So um, it was crazy. It was an insane experience, to say the least. And I'm sure that's I'm sure that's something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. I mean, that's exciting to be able to just. Well, I mean, you obviously worked for it. You obviously tried to chase that whole dream anyway, and to go in there and it sounded like they already had a singer, and you just basically made that guy look like crap, right? And they decided to go with you. How did uh, I that had to feel to great? I'm a nice guy. I might be confident and come off a little cocky back in the day. I was like 22 at the time. I was going to, I think I would, uh, September, October, I think I would turn uh, 23 on the tour. And uh, so, yeah, I wasn't trying to be mean or anything, but that gig was mine. I felt like that gig was mine. I was a huge fan of Baron Cross coming up. You know, they were one of two or three Christian metal bands that could totally stand with any band in the world in the scene of heavy rock. They were compared a lot to uh, Iron Maiden and uh, had a similar sound, the singer did, And uh, but the band had split apart uh, and the world tour was scheduled and they decided to keep going. Uh, the drummer and the singer bailed and my friend Dave Levi got the gig as the drummer and uh, he told him about me but I was MIA because at the time I was sleeping on couches, I was couch surfing little bit trying to find myself after years of chasing music and I just happened to be at a battle of the bands of my former band um, Sabre there was a band called Sabre I did a little stint with and we won a battle of the bands and there was a second appearance they were gonna do and I quit the band and they got a new singer and I was at that second show with the new singer and my old drummer Todd from Full Armor said where have you been and he told me about the gig, and I went downstairs in the basement, and with all the noise, I was on a payphone. I put like five dollars and fifty cents in quarters in that payphone <laughs> to call my to call my friend Dave and tell him, Dave, it's this. And he was like, Well, it's kind of late, bro. <laughs> you know. And I told him, No, no, I'm gonna. I'll get on a bus. I'll come right out. He said, Don't come. So we already got a singer, but he told me don't come like several times, and I said, Dude, I'm coming. I'm coming. So I got on the bus, and I got there. He was actually angry at me because he had to put me up in his living room, <laughs> and his wife was pregnant. I said, I'm sorry. This is my gig. And uh, so that was that. Persistence, man. It's everything. you got to have it. So if you were to go back today, what would you have told? What was one thing that you'd tell yourself different about that whole thing? What would you have done different? Is there anything, or did you do everything that you wanted? Did you lay it all out on the line? Are you talking about my time with the band as a singer? Yeah, yeah, like getting there, getting to that point and, and, and pursuing that dream. Well, I would have done a whole lot of things different. See, I would, my examples were these secular rock stars like Motley Crue and all these L.A. bands. See, I was five, six hours away from L.A., basically. And, uh, you know, that's all the bands we heard. We heard all the L.A. scene bands, the San Francisco bands, you know. And these guys were basically all, like, strip guys hanging out on the Sunset Strip. And the, the girls that came to their shows were, were uh, you know, the groupies would support them and stuff. So I was like, man, I don't need a job. I don't need a driver's license. I dropped out of school to pursue music. I dropped out of school after the ninth grade. And I said, I gotta, I'm going to make a band. I want to make music. Kids, don't do that. Don't drop out of school. Don't do that. But, um, you know, I ended up getting my GED and completing that later on uh, after I was finished playing music and uh, then going on to some other uh, post-secondary schools but for career. And um, at any rate, I followed 
bands like Molecule. I heard the stories about them, like being hungry and the girls would feed them. And I had the same thing, man. I made a phone call when I heard that, and one of the girls I was dating at the time, she paid for my ticket. I had no money. She gave me money for food. She bought my Greyhound bus ticket and said, go, this is your gig, go. And uh, so I was on that bus saying, thank you, my buddy. But, uh, you know, she supported me all through and was at all the shows, you know. So I had that sort of situation where I didn't have to really worry. I worked really hard on my ability as a singer, as a guitar player. And uh, for years, we did a lot of gigs up and down the coast in California. Like I said, we had that uh, compilation record that we were on. We had some pretty big gigs and um, actually played with Baron Cross one time. So, uh, you know, we didn't know them, but it was one of those things where when I found out that they were needing me, even though they had a singer, I said, um, this is it, you know, and I took off. So, you know, Dave was angry at me for showing up, but he got over it. And, uh, and that's a lot of times what we do is, um, is we take no for an answer a lot of times. And uh, for me, that just wasn't uh, an option. When I heard no, it was like a yes. I heard yes. You know, I didn't hear no because I wasn't trying to hear that. I was trying to hear, uh, this is your gig, bro. Get out here, you know. So basically I got on that bus and that was one of the best things I ever did. You ever seen that movie, Rockstar? Yep. And it has, uh, yes, uh, Mark, 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 Mark Wahlberg. Guy. Yeah. Wahlberg, uh -huh. yeah. That's, that, if you watch that movie, just take out all the drugs and the sex and all that, and that's basically how it went. Well, that's a, a, that's a like cool that. story. Uh, that's really awesome that you got to do that, that you got to pursue your dream. That you know, I mean, And I'm glad that you decided to get your GED after you quit the band, go back, make sure that you got that because that is totally necessary. Um, after, after this was all said and done, because you said you toured with them about a year, you kind of moved on. Where, where did it go from there? What was next? Well, I, I started pursuing uh, a solo career. In Germany, I had met uh, the manager for Baron Cross, John. He had also managed a lot of other uh, musicians and artists over the years, even back into the 70s. He was one of the biggest promoters in the other side of the United States, being from uh, Illinois. But he had flown out to, um, to London with his wife, and they made the jump over to Ger uh, Germany, and he showed up. And we were at this big hall playing, and we were there beforehand, and I met him for the first time. And we went back into the banquet area. It was all closed, and we sat at this really beautiful banquet in Germany uh, uh, restaurant. It was just beautiful. We had Crystal Blasters sitting there drinking water and just talking after meeting each other. And uh, we headed off right away. Uh, John became my manager uh, after Baron Cross. We talked for years. I still talked to him. And basically, you know, he decided to take me under his, under his wing and uh, pursue other record deals with with my music uh, it never came to fruition but um, it wasn't for lack of trying my problem was in the beginning you asked me what would I have changed I would have changed a whole lot about how I went about getting the uh, the gig with Baron Cross uh, I would change how I lived my life before that like you know being a mooch and couch surfing is just not the way to do it it's never correct um, the way to do it is you know, work hard, which I did on my talent, my ability, but at the same time, I would have stayed in school. 
I would have, uh, you know, worked a job, had some money, gotten my driver's license. And what had happened was after the tour was all over, I'm on the bus going, okay, this is the last gig, and then we're going to do a record. Uh, we had a, a record deal, Enigma Records had like quadrupled the uh, the budget from what they'd ever had in their record uh, contract. They, they had heard about the tour that we were doing and the huge sellouts and how everyone was responding to the new band lineup and the new music. I had a song that I wrote on the former singer's guitar, which was left in the drummer's house. They were friends and uh, he had left his acoustic guitar. It's a famous guitar. He has it on the on the back of the Rock for the King album. He's holding two guitars like a cross, like a, there it is, and by the neck. And one of them is a Taka, it's a Takamini uh, acoustic guitar. Well, I was in the garage doing something. I saw a guitar case above in the rafters. And I pulled it down at Dave's house, the drummer's house. And uh, he was at work and I was at his house and I pulled it down and it was that. I knew exactly whose guitar it was the minute I saw it because I'm, I know Baron Cross's first record and I dubbed that off to cassettes many times. <laughs> you know, remember how you spend the record and make a tape out of it? Because you, you just can't take yeah. a record player with you. You gotta, you gotta have a tape. But I, I know the back <laughs> of that record and I had that talk of me acoustic and I was like, no way! Mike Lee's acoustic guitar. So I'm sitting there jamming and I wrote a song called Pain Reliever and um, we ended up playing it. And it was so good, man. It was so good. We did that. We, we uh, performed my song, Pain Reliever, on the entire tour. It had rave reviews. The record company got word of our tour and the sound and the reception, and they quadrupled the record deal. So we had a very big uh, budget coming up for the next record. And um, long story short, obviously, uh, we got back. It was about maybe five or six months. And I got the word that the band was breaking up. They decided to not do the record and uh, not pursue the record contract. Instead, they decided to uh, to quit. There were some marital problems going on, and uh, they decided it was over. So I was bummed out. And uh, from that point on, I was talking to John, the manager, and I uh, decided to stay in LA. And I had uh, several auditions with well-known bands that uh, but one of them I got the gig and I decided against it because it was a real, uh, even though I could sing like an ACDC style, screaming and with the pitch and the, and the high octave range, um, it dawned on me one day that if I did that for more than a few concerts, I'd probably lose my voice. <laughs> so I bailed out of that opportunity and decided to form my own band. Vin Van Bolt was the name of the band in L.A. And I had uh, a really great band and wrote about 30 songs in a couple months and was sending music to my manager to shop. We had some interest and uh, when the bass player quit and the band just didn't make it. So after that, I spent about five years uh, pursuing music and I got married. Um, the, we had a, she had a, a child at the time and I ended up having instant family, you know, so. At that point, I was like, you know, it's not like before. I'm a little older, I'm married, I have responsibilities. Now I gotta get a job. So what the thing was for me, the reason why I had such a hard time making it after Baron Cross, it was because of my choices before Cross. 
I didn't have a driver's license. I had some unpaid tickets. I had nowhere to live. Uh, I got off tour. Basically, I went to my mom's in, uh, in uh, New Mexico in Albuquerque and then ended up flying to uh, L.A. for some auditions to make, and that's when I started making the solo act. Um, but all in all, I would have done all that different because it would have came in handy when it was time to just make it through and sign a record deal. Because if you talk to guys like George Lentz from Dawkins and people like, George Lentz was delivering beer on a beer truck when he got signed, you know? So basically, you know, they're playing gigs in the city, they're playing the Whiskey A Go-Go and the Troubadour and all these uh, famous places in LA on the Strip and uh, waiting to get signed by a big label. And, uh, but most of these guys that were making it, not Motley Crue, obviously, those guys were bums. <laughs> and it's, when you know, they were, they made it the biggest out of all of them. Um, but they had jobs, they had careers. They did something before they made it. They played gigs at night, they delivered beer in the day. And uh, that's something I would have done differently. I would have worked hard. I would have had money. I would have been ready for the success. Because just because you have talent, doesn't mean that you're going to actually make it in the music business. It takes a lot more than that. There are certain stars that have to line up for you to actually get something like what happened to me happen, you know? And yeah. to make it as an artist and go all the way and have success, make a living at it, um, you got to have your ducks in a row, man. It just doesn't happen for those who are not prepared for it. And being responsible and uh, take responsibility for your life is number one. You got to be ready for that, man. Not everybody's ready, and I wasn't ready for that kind of success on my own. With a band, sure, but in a solo position, I was not ready. So flash forward a couple years here, and and now we're we're in a different situation. You decided that you were going to do something a little different now, and you and you became a barber, right? Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that and the process. You, you've kind of learned under a couple famous barbers. You've been a Rutzel scumbassador. What? How? How did you? How did you go about that kind of thing? Barbering was something I got interested in um, when I was really young. My granddad was a barber, and I we would make trips to his place, and uh, my mom would bring us out just visit with them and. Being a barber, he'd say, you need a haircut, kid, come on. So he'd cut my hair, and I always had an interest in barbering. And believe it or not, I remember being on tour and staring out the bus window on the way to another gig, thinking, I should have just gotten a barber license. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even in the middle of that, it was a lot of stress, and being on the road and doing concerts and shows night after night, I had some vocal problems. As a matter of fact, I had to call an L.A. vocal teacher from Germany and asked him advice about how to sing correctly, how to warm up. I didn't ever have any lessons. As good as I was, I didn't know what I was doing. And so it really was a lot of stress on me, looking out the window thinking I should have become a barber. Uh, that was no joke. I had thought about being a barber, and it was always in the back of my, my mind. But I, I would always do something else before I went to barber school. I did uh, insurance school. I went to... Um, real estate school, I got my real estate license. Uh, I drove a truck for like 20 years and all the while thinking, what can I do? Went through all these different positions, multi-level marketing, 
all these other things. I started a business in uh, appliance repair and, and sales of used appliances. I did a lot of things I never thought I would do. And the whole time I thought I should have just become a barber. So when it came right down to it, um, I finally said, we moved to Texas. And we moved to Austin, Texas. And I said to myself, what are you doing? You need to get busy here. We need to, I have no retirement. I have to build something, you know. Uh, I got to Austin. I found a barber school that was a third of the price of anywhere I'd ever seen before. And uh, I pulled the trigger, man. My wife, went. she had a couple jobs, and I went to school full-time and knocked it out in nine months flat, and I became a barber finally in 19, or it was 2012. So, and now here I am. I'm a licensed barber. I don't think it's the, uh, you know, the greatest career ever, but it is a very good career. You'd be surprised what a barber can, can make. And um, uh, the opportunities are really endless if you have the mind to, to do something with it. I met, uh, when I was in barber school, I was always looking for educational videos online, right? And I found this bunch in, um, they were in Rotterdam, Netherlands. And I didn't know that though. I just saw a picture of these really cool dudes, about seven of them lined up next to chairs, a long shot. So they were like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And they all had towels over their arms and they were standing all, and they had tattoos up their necks. And I was like, who are these guys? And I read the, I read the paragraph under the ad, the article that says scumbag barbers of Rotterdam. <laughs> like scumbag barbers. Okay. What are these posers? And, uh, but at first, I didn't realize they were from there. I was a fan. Actually, it wasn't that. That wasn't the first thing I seen. I saw a picture, and I didn't know they were from Rotterdam. And so I was, like, becoming a fan. I was watching some videos. I was like, these guys are awesome. What part of America are they from? And then I did some investigation and found out they were from, I read that ad. It said Rotterdam. I'm like, oh, my gosh. These guys are stealing this from the U.S., you know. They're total thieves trying to be those, you know, classic barbers. But really, uh, barbering was not invented in the U.S. It was a European thing, man. Italy and, and Europe uh, had these barbers with the white coats, and, the, and America took that. So I was kind of angry that they were from Europe, but then I find out, okay, it's all good. Because when I saw their haircuts and what they did, I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, when you go to barber school, that's not when you start learning. You start learning when you get out, and you start doing the cuts, and you start realizing how terrible you really are at cutting hair. So uh, basically I uh, had been texting Rob, or the Bloody Butcher as they call him. Uh, he's a very famous barber. If you're not in that world, you wouldn't know it. But he's, you know, Pete Al-Sassoon is very well known in the world because of his products and his, his uh, innovation with hair cutting and angles and all the, uh, the square shapes and stuff. Uh, but Rob, he's right there, like he is a very famous guy in that scene. Uh, they have a product called Ruzel, which is uh, uh, the the uh, makers of American Crew, which is the number one product in the world for men and their hair. Um, those guys built that business all up, and then they sold it. And they heard about these guys in Rotterdam who were having people line up and waiting four hours for a haircut. They were flying in and tr taking a train and buses in from Germany and places 
to stand in front of Scorum, which is the name of the shop, Scorum, and uh, that means scumbag in Dutch. But they would come <laughs> all the way there. Yeah, they named them the Scumbag Barbers after the name of the shop. But the other, the name for Scorum means I shaved him in Dutch, but it also means the lowest of the low. Scumbag, <laughs> you know? So that's the story behind uh, the Scorum Barbers and, and the Bloody Butcher. Uh, there's a, his partner is the Bearded Bastard. It's they have nicknames for all the barbers. It's hilarious, uh, but it's funny because they are like, you know, they say, you know, we're scumbags, but we're decent scumbags. Yeah, as they throw back a shot and smoke a cigarette. Yeah, and their tattoos. He's got Rob has a famous tattoo of a straight razor right next to his eye here, and uh, he's probably been tattooed on other people's bodies thousands of times there's many many barbers with his face on their body and uh, not me i'm not one of them but i have pictures of me and him together we hung out we became friends uh through facebook i kept texting him and then one day he ended up in austin and i said you're in austin you didn't tell me i made the drive out there and we hung out till like three in the morning at some club in austin and uh, i got him totally drunk and he left with some girl <laughs> But uh, yeah, pretty. It was, that was a great time. Thanks, Rob. The next day he's all, oh, Vinny, what they call Scumbassador. Uh, and they call Scumbassador because Scumbags, Ambassador. I'm a, I'm a brand ambassador for Ruzel, basically, which means they train me to train others how to cut hair like them after they've taught me. So I spent a lot of time working with them, being trained by their uh, top barbers. And, uh, you know, I brought that back to my shop and have had success with it. So that's the story nice that's that's so cool that you got to go over there you got to learn from a guy who's pretty famous on top of getting your barber you know your license and and all that it's it's a great story of how you how you got there um you know we talked a little bit about you know it's kind of like you've, you've been through so many different things and you just kind of throwing things up on the wall and finding what sticks can you talk about just like once you decided what that was going to be how you just kept pushing for that because you've had a couple different shops i think you're this is this is number three, right? You had one in Boise, you had one where you currently are again, and then another one now. More than three. Five. Five. Okay. So it's five. I said three because there's only three that I know about, but there's been five different mm -hmm. shops, and you continue to pursue that dream of owning your own shop, building something great. What keeps you doing that? What keeps you going? Well, obviously the creative side. I'm an artist. I've always been a, a songwriter as well as a singer, guitar player. Um, I don't know, something about barbering musicians cross over well to it. And uh, I think it's because we can start a project every 20, 30 minutes and, and see a finished product at the end of every half an hour. And it's, uh, it's really uh, pleasing and fulfilling to be able to over and over if you know what you're doing. Obviously, when I didn't know what I was doing right out of barber school, uh, I wasn't that great. And I thought I was, but I wasn't. And I hadn't really learned much yet. And so basically, once I went to Europe and trained with Rob and those guys, and I came back, it was literally two or three weeks, and I was doing a cut, one like I learned over there. And um, they called the Scumbag Boogie. And it was uh, a, a haircut I had done several times, but I had done it after learning. The guy came in the shop. I did the haircut, followed all the steps, and when I saw it come together, I was, I literally had a tear in my eye. 
I mean, I'm passionate about what anything that I do. I want to be the best at it. I want to be good. I want people to know when they get a haircut from me that they've been cut by someone who has taken the time to learn, not just go to school and get your little 1,500 hours and, and go start a barbershop. No, I took time to learn how to cut hair, understand what I'm doing, and now it shows. And when the first time I saw that end product, I was like, wow, wow. And I looked over at my other barbers and I was like, wow. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'll tell you later. I gotta get back to this. But uh, it's one of those things that, uh, I don't know, I can't really explain to you what it is, but when you're passionate about something and you work hard and you finally get there and you know you, you just hit it, you nailed it, it's like, and it's, it's like the same, same thing with singing. I sang for years before uh, I got into Full Armor. And Full Armor, there was a night, I forget where we were at, we were at a small little restaurant and we were doing this gig and there were a bunch of people there. And I remember... I hit some notes there that I'd never hit before. I pushed my voice to a point that was like, it blew my mind. After the show, I was like, did you hear that? I was telling my band, did you hear Did you hear that vocal? They were like, dude, that was, they were blown out. And um, asked me about that guy too, before I, before I uh, go smoke on the water or whatever. Anyway, there's times <laughs> in these things that I've done that I just blew myself away. Not bragging about what I can do, but more that you finally hit that place when you're striving for something and you just know it. Okay, I'm there. I am there. There's more to come, but I'm there. And it, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And uh, and after those moments, uh, I'm just, it's just like, there's nowhere to go but up, you know? I love that you related the barbering to art because i think that that's really that's that's a good way of looking at it i never i never pictured it mm -hmm. that way i never thought of it that way but it is a creation you're in there cutting a guy's hair or, or gal's hair or whatever you're doing and, and when it's done it is a piece of art and the unfortunate thing about it is that be. piece of art has to be shaped again i that's the one thing that drives me nuts about it is that i have to go in there and get a haircut once a month it looks really good right when it's done well, well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but that's—I don't know if you've got any—if you've got art hair or not. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just messing with you. No. You do. Oh, the, I got you art the hair. Nice Fury cut. The Fury cut is yeah. great. It looks good. It looks good. If you ever saw the Fury movie with Brad Pitt, that's the haircut we did on uh, on Wes here. And uh, but you know there are a lot of simple haircuts. So most people just want a high fade or whatever ball fade. That's no fun. That's why I want to learn the classics. When you learn the classic yeah. barber haircuts. That's where the fun comes in. Somebody comes in with a huge mop, like looking like, uh, you know, the uh, some of these bad people, you know, these long hairs, you know. They come in with all that hair, and, it's, and it stinks, and it's matted, and you're like, what are you going to do with that? Before I learned, I had no idea what to do with that. You come in with shoulder-length hair. I was actually sitting in a shop before I opened my own, asking a guy for a job, and it was an older cat. And he, he said, no, I don't need you. We don't need anybody. And I said, do you mind if I sit and watch for a minute? He goes, no, nah, you're okay. Yeah, go ahead. This guy walks in. He has length hair down here, past his shoulders. And he sits down. The guy puts the thing around his neck, and he puts the cape on him. And he's all, what would you like, son? And the guy's all, just give me a, just about that much off. Just about a quarter inch or whatever. And the guy didn't say nothing. He just took the cape off, and he said, there's a salon right over there. <laughs> he told the guy to leave. He did not know what to do with the long hair. 
And that's what got me. I was like, what? I was like, I'll cut your hair. I was sitting there watching. I was thinking I was going to get a show. And that guy said, no. He didn't say nothing. He just took it off and said, there's a salon right over there. They'll cut your hair. He didn't want to do a trim. And I was like, no way that is that ever happening to me. Someone walks in. I don't care what hair they got. Guess what? I'm cutting your hair. And you're going to like yeah. it. It's but a good way to look now, at it. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're running out of time here. I'd like to get to this other question here, but we're gonna we're gonna have to kind of cut it short a little bit. Um, I want before I get to the last question, which is what we're gonna get to, and I'm gonna ask you the I'm gonna ask you these other questions when we get a chance. But before we get to the last question, uh, can you tell us where we can find you, where people can follow you, and all that stuff? Where 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 can we find Vincent Van Voltenberg? Uh, well, I am a barber. And uh, I think it says Vincent Todd Van Voltenberg on my Facebook. A barber named Vince, maybe? Or a barber named Vincent Todd, that's what it is, on Facebook and Instagram. So Vinny Todd's is the name of the barber shop. I live in Texas, and uh, Vinny Todd's is a takeoff of Sweeney Todd's, but it's actually my name. I've never gone by Vinny before, but when I named the shop Vinny Todd, I was automatically Vinny. <laughs> So some friends call me Vince or Vinner, but most people call me Vinny now because they know the shop, Vinny Todd's. That's how yeah, you and I've, we've gone back and forth about what your name is over and over again, and I just call you Vince or Vinny. <laughs> it is well, what it is. You know, when I when I got the gig with Baron Cross, my name, Vincent Van Voltenberg, was kind of long. So I cut it down to Vin Van Volt. That was my solo uh, band's name, Vin Van Volt. A lot easier than saying yeah. the other. All right. Well, we're going to get to this last question sponsor here real quick before we before we get to the last question. Uh, this week's sponsor is the Hard Parking Podcast. It's a little bit about cars, but much more. Check out the Hard Parking Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Vinny. So we are going to get to this last question here. And this is the same question that we ask every guest. Um, that question is, what is the shape of your success? The shape of my success. I told you you should send me the the questions so I could work on this. Uh, the shape of my <laughs> success. Well, uh, I can tell you that um, I'm a believer in God. I've always had God in my heart. I've always uh, tried to put Him first in my life. Uh, I know that it was that little small voice. Every time I've had any success, it was always starting at that that small voice, and. Uh, I would just follow it. When I heard it, I knew it, and I'd follow it. But uh, shaping success, man, it's, it, it's all been in the determination, the passion. Without the passion, forget it. If you don't love what you do, you might as well stop now. You can't succeed without that love, without that passion, perseverance, and uh, not taking no for an answer, basically. Yeah, and you think about it way back when. If you would have took no for an answer, you would have never had that opportunity. So that is a that's a that great way correct. to look at it. Well, I want to say thank you for taking the time to be on the show. I appreciate having you on here. You know, Absolutely. we've talked about having you on here a couple times, and and uh, I'm glad I finally took the chance to do it. Um, and so th that this is it, guys. This is the end of the show. I just wanted to say a few things before we get going here. If you would like to be the last question sponsor, head on over to www.tvpbn.com slash channels slash SS. Donate to the show, and you will be the last question sponsor. Uh, the biggest donator of the week will be last question sponsor. Again, this week was Hard Parking Podcast. Until next time, I want to challenge you to find the shape of your success. Have a great evening.
This was Shaping Success with Wes Tankersley brought to you by Aggressive Marketing Solutions. If you need a team of marketers to help you with social media, all you need to do to start is text WES2020 to 541-709-6502. 541-709-6502. That is Aggressive Marketing Solutions. Have a great day. See you next time.